Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight, an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to fatigue, digestive issues to women's health, and so much more. And speaking of women's health, Healing Insight has some huge news. Practitioner Nikki Ballian was just officially certified as a fertility specialist by the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. She's been specializing in women's health and fertility for 12 years and is now one of only nine practitioners to have this special certification in the entire state of Minnesota. In fact, my youngest sister, Jenny, started to become concerned about her fertility after trying to get pregnant for about six months. She says she could feel changes in her body within just a few treatments from Nikki and credits Nikki with getting her body on track to become pregnant. And Jenny's first baby is expected this summer. I'm currently pregnant with baby number three and have visited Healing Insight regularly throughout my pregnancies and especially at a time when my prenatal care has seemed really uncertain because of the COVID-19 health crisis. Knowing that I'm consistently able to focus on my physical and emotional health with Senya has been so important. Senya was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes of Best to the Nest. It's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety and episode 113, where we talk about coping with the COVID-19 global pandemic. Visit Healing Insight HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. And congratulations, Nikki. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Good morning, Marjorie. Good morning, darling. This has been, of course, an intense couple of weeks, and I think a lot of people are realizing what a lot of other people have been going through since the day they were born. And so we are going to talk about that today, and I am really honored and just delighted that our guest, Sina Hodges, decided to take time to talk to us today. Sina Hodges is uh, she goes by the woke coach, Marjorie? That mm-hmm. should that tells it like it is. So, Sina Hodges is a connector who loves people and is passionate about equity, intersectional feminism, and access to brave spaces for all. Uh, Sina founded the Woke Coach, so this is her business, um, and she did this as she witnessed the nation's awakening to racial injustices, and she saw an opportunity. She writes about this on her website to help shepherd people through their transformational journeys so we can all realize the American dream of being seen, heard, and validated every day. So here's what Sina does. Her company is called The Woke Coach and she works with clients and she facilitates conversations and helps to complete projects that live at the intersection of equity, diversity, inclusion, education, and empowerment. Isn't that a good list, Marjorie Bunnett? The company's mission is to help individuals deepen their analysis and develop an understanding around issues of bias and injustice. In turn, 
And isn't this so beautiful? Helping them become the best, most understanding, empathetic version of themselves. So we want to welcome Sina to Best to the Nest. Sina, you got a cup of coffee, my friend? Oh, I have tea this morning. Excellent. (laughs) I don't do anything without caffeine, so good to know. You know, we want to thank you for being with us and um, thank you anytime. But I think particularly on this Friday as we're having this conversation, George Floyd's memorial service with his family was just yesterday. He was killed at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. Gosh, now almost two weeks ago, 10 days ago. And uh, the city, of course, has seen just the ramifications of that. And then we've seen that bubble over into the rest of the country and into the rest of the world. And so, number one, I think I just want to say to you, Sina, that I could never understand your grief, but I just want you to know that we are thinking about your grief as we go into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's tough. It's a, it's a very tough time, right? It's, it's a tough time. It's um, We're not designed to see uh, trauma repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And this particular uh, murder, while all murders are egregious, this one was more egregious because of the eight minutes and 46 seconds of death that you're watching. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. And watching watching it as it seemingly was done with impunity. Yeah. And that is, is, is is horrific. And I think what I, what I, I saw a headline yesterday and the headline basically said, this is something that has happened in every city, not in the same way, not, not that everybody has seen it. And I think we have to have these conversations, but where does it start? Oh, wow. I think what's so hard about everything that's happening in the world is that Every now and again, we're here in the Twin Cities, and over the past few years, we've had a lot of folks killed at the hands of police, right? Yep. We've had Philando Castile, we've had Jamar Clark, we've had Thurman Blevins, and now George Floyd. And it is, we've experienced so much. It's it's so much. And even since George Floyd has was murdered, there have been others. Right. And so what's what's interesting about the world that we live in is that if you're black, you're tuned into this at a level that's that's remarkable and ridiculous. Right. Because Mm -hmm. why are we having to have these conversations? And if you're a white person, this might be the first time you've ever actually actively paid attention. But this is something that happens every single day in this country. Black folks only make up 13 percent of the population in the U.S., but we make up about 25% of the folks that are murdered at the hands of police. Okay. It's disproportionate. And there's so many, uh, as you, as we look now and are taking such a deep look in our country at racial injustice, we're seeing so much that's disproportionate. A headline I just read this morning talked about the wage gap between black families and white families in this country has not changed only gotten bigger since the civil rights movement in 1968, that it has not changed at all. And when you look at those numbers, it's shocking. And then when you look around our neighborhood and you see that people are just filled with rage about the inequities that we have, you go, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you know, we should all be 
this angry about it. So, Sina, you you have this this mission and this company that is titled The Woke Coach that I know is your passion project. Yeah. And the work that you're doing is unbelievable. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the transformations from people, but I just got sucked into reading testimonials on your website last night after I emailed you. And I was just like, number one, she's doing amazing things. And number two, she gets amazing testimonials. They're so good. But I want to talk to you about your story of becoming the woke coach. And you've done so many other things in your life and worked on all sorts of things that I know you're passionate about. But then what has led you to this place where this work is what needs to be done? Sure, sure, sure. I think, you know, Elizabeth, funny story, quick story. When I was a a kid, you know, most kids, their first words are something like mama or dada or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, something like that. My daughter's was, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. My first words were a sentence. And the sentence was, I do it. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so it would make my mom so mad and my parents would just be annoyed because I would, they would try to help me, you know, put on my shirt, put on my shoes. And I say, no, I do it. I do it. I do it. I do, I do it. it. And so. Oh, that's so cute. It, it was, um, you know how you never really uh, realize that some of the things that happen to you as a child or, or the or the ways in which you grow up are really informing how you will be as an adult, right? Right. And yeah. so for me, I had all these jobs and all these opportunities. I when I got out of college, one of my first jobs was at the Urban League affiliate in Columbia, South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. And so when that, at that time, it was when the Confederate flag was on top of the State House dome, right? Yeah. And so we were having marches and rallies to get that flag down. And um, unfortunately, that flag didn't come down permanently until those nine people lost their lives in that church in Charleston, South Carolina, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's the beginning of my career. And growing up black, I was fortunate. Um, a lot of people aren't this fortunate, but I was very fortunate that when I was in elementary school and middle school, I went to a private school that was all black. Mm-hmm. So my teachers looked like me. Yeah. And so when we talked about issues of the civil rights movement, many of them had participated, right? So when we talked about our, our blackness and, and what that meant and how we show up in the world and, and all the things that have happened, and we watched things like Roots or Eyes on the Prize, it was very... I could I could get it because the folks that I was with understood it more deeply than I did, right? Yeah. And so that is the part of what drives me. It's just my lived experience. It's that piece of it. And so throughout my career, you know, I left the Urban League and went on to work at a utility company. That was not – it was natural gas, and there's nothing sexy about natural gas. And that's going to last forever. And then uh, I, I left there and went to graduate school uh, because I really am passionate about theater and got um, went to Columbia University and got an MFA in theater management and producing and essentially was working on Broadway as a publicist. And so worked on a lot of Broadway shows, then got the opportunity to come here to the Guthrie. And I came to the Guthrie with a show that was on its way to Broadway, was here for the summer, and then kept coming back to the Guthrie and finally got hired there to, to work in communications. Worked there, left there, worked at another smaller theater company, then took a job at a foundation. One of the things that's that's been a through line in my career, though, is always wanting to create opportunities for equitable circumstances because inequity is everywhere. So how do you make circumstances more equitable? When I was working on Broadway, it was all about, like, how do I get the writers of color to be able to cover the red carpet? 
because historically they hadn't. And it was just that folks didn't have relationships and hadn't reached out to say, hey, come over here and, and cover these shows and write about these artists that are doing these shows. So um, it's always been trying to, to create circumstances where we can um, people can be fully seen and we can really have opportunities to engage with each other when we might not otherwise do that. And so for me, I started this company because I really was feeling like I wanted to do more. In all of the places that I was working, people were doing work and it was good work, but I felt like sometimes it was either too slow. I felt like the right people weren't involved. And my therapist said to me one day, she said, you just keep like, what are you, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And I said to her, I said, I have this vision of this thing and it's called the woke coach. I said, I don't know what it is or what I do, but I just have this vision. And my therapist literally pulled out her laptop and she said, get out your debit card. And I said, (laughs) and we swapped the domain name in my therapy session. No way. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm loving. I'm loving that therapist. Yeah, <laughs> I know you want to pass her name along after this. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, but, I, but I, what, I, what I love great. though, what I love though, is that idea of I do it. And you were looking even after graduate school and all of that. The mantra in your head, whether you were hearing it in that moment or not, was I do it. I got to yeah. go out and do it. And that's, that's you that's know really cool. we talk about on this podcast a lot. Something that. Marjorie and her husband, Ian, have discussed in their house for years, which is the still small voice, which is listening to the still small voice within you. And that, I mean, I don't know if you believe this, but I certainly do that. The woke coach, the woke coach, the woke coach, that's the still small voice Mm -hmm. within you. And even though the idea isn't fully formed, you are aware enough of what's going on in your body and your mind and your soul to be able to hear that little, the woke coach, the woke coach even through all the noise of everything else that's going on and what a gift that is. I feel very, very blessed to wake up every day and be able to have the conversations that I have and work with the people uh, that I work with and um, chart my own course, right? Yeah. Yeah. um, it It is so freeing. It's so liberating. And I love being my own boss. I love being able to say, you know, you, I will work with you. I will not. And that's okay, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's and a beautiful I mean, the, thing. the three letters CEO are just always badass, no matter what you have going on. So it just feels very good to have that in front of your name. I like that very much. So, Sina, when when you describe the woke coach to people, and then what you're doing, because I know you have a really great just outlines of some of the different courses that you're offering to people. You're working with individuals and groups, right? And so, what are people? What do people want? to get out of the time that they spend with you. Sure, sure. So um, it's interesting, Elizabeth, because I sometimes I think people don't know. I think people know that they have a deficit as it relates to understanding race, as it relates to understanding creating equitable and inclusive environments, but they're not really sure what to do or or how to get started. So, you know, that's really why I started the business is because I believe that racial equity is that defining issue of our time right now. We're seeing it play out over and over and over again, right? And so the reality of it is once you witness injustice in any form, right, if you see it however it occurs, then the question inherently becomes what are you going to do about it, right? And so then that means that in order for us to change, we have to actually act, 
So we have to do, which is not, if, if you don't know what to do, then you don't know what to do, right? And so really, I was having a lot of conversations with people who were saying things like, I don't want people to think I'm racist. I want people to think I'm an ally. I, I just, I don't understand what's going on. And they would always end with the same thing, but I don't know where to start. And so essentially what this business is, is that bridge to help folks get started on their journeys, because here's the deal. Progress is possible for everyone. Right. You just have to be willing to put in the work. So so because we know that progress is possible, if you couple that with uh, folks willingness to learn, that's number one. So are you willing? Because the other thing is that if you want to have conversations, you want to change environments. If you're a manager, you want to have a better understanding of how to parent. You have to also contend with some of the realities of the world. Right. And so some folks may say, well, racism isn't real. Okay, those are the folks I can't work with because we can't even, like, we're yeah. not even, if you can't acknowledge yeah. that, then I don't know where we go from there, right? But there has to be a willingness to acknowledge historical inequities. There has to be really a willingness to learn. And once folks are willing to learn, then they start that process, and then they really start to develop a level of self-awareness about who they are, how they show up. They get a greater sense of emotional intelligence, right? And so this is that whole piece of it that really is key because, once you know yourself in depth, once you know what your deficiencies are, once you know what your own triggers are, then you're more um, ready and able to show up. Then you're able to be a better parent. You're able to be a better leader or a better manager because you because you know, right? And then that tackles that piece of being uncomfortable, right? Folks are deathly uncomfortable about these conversations all the time. Yeah. They're like, I don't, I don't know. And I, you know, well, especially Minnesotans, Cena. I mean, look at us. We're just, we're bred to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's why, because the barometer of comfort in this country is essentially set to white, right? <laughs> And so everything that happens in this country is really designed so that white folks are always comfortable. It's everybody else who's wildly uncomfortable because we can never be what white folks are, right? There's there's nothing about me. You know, when I leave my house, you look at me and you know that I'm a, before you know anything about me, you know that I'm black, right? And some folks would be like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. It does because we live in a racialized society. Because we racialize people and because we even talk about race to begin with, then me being black matters, right? And so the reality of the situation is we have to learn how to understand others' experiences. We have to understand the things that we don't know and the things that we haven't had to learn, right? As white folks, there's a lot of things that you haven't had to learn because you haven't had to have that experience. For Mm -hmm. folks like me who are parents who have sons, you have to have the conversation about law enforcement. You have to have that conversation with your daughters. What what happens when you get pulled over right after you get your license and you're driving, right? What happens when you're just out in a park playing with your friends? So yeah. these are the deep conversations that really have to happen. And so what what has to what clients need to do is once they're willing to learn, they're developing this level of self-awareness and greater emotional intelligence, then they're less uncomfortable, right? Because they know more. So the moment that you know more about how we got into this mess in the first place, then you're able to have the ability to speak to issues and situations with clarity and purpose, right? You're able to speak to those situations. And then the the final great thing that happens is then you have the ability to influence others, right? And then you're talking to your, your family members at the, at the dinner table, right? Then you're having conversations with folks on social media or people that you meet. And then you're being present for folks who may be having experiencing injustice anywhere from the grocery store to your place of worship, right? 
that's what it, that's what the transformation looks like. Yeah. And is that the transformation from ally to accomplice that we talk about? Because I think a lot of white people are trying to figure out, okay, I want to be an ally. And then there's a step further in that in being an accomplice. And am I correct in saying that an accomplice is one who is actually actively initiating change versus just saying I stand with you and standing with you is one step in the journey. An accomplice is taking it further. Yeah. And you know, the way I like to describe an accomplice, an, an accomplice is someone who will physically use their person to diffuse a situation, right? And right. an accomplice is a person where if we are together and some injustice happens, I don't even have to open my mouth because the accomplice has got it. They just shut it down, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what it that's what it looks like. That's what the work looks like. And I think that's what change has to look like. Yeah. The repetition of the stories is overwhelming to me right now. One, because I think there's a certain amount of reconciliation in my own part of like, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done anything. I can be a kind person, but I haven't done anything. Yeah. And, and so there's a frustration of, I went through and I was researching all of the names in the last 10 years or the ones that I could find in, in the media of the African-American males that have died at the hands of police. And I was going through 2014, 2012. <laughs> and so I just think there's a point where it's it, ally to accomplice. How do you get, and I, I think this is what's interesting about the idea of transformation, of how do you get to the point of accomplice where you feel that confidence that I'm not going to misstep. I'm not going to do this wrong. I want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're talking about? When I talk about being an ally or being an accomplice, the thing that's key is that we're talking about lifelong work, Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about a commitment from now until you leave this place, right? And the consistency with which you do that will lend itself to you being an accomplice, right? If you keep showing up, you know, if if you start right now and for the rest of your life, this is what you're doing. You're showing up for racial injustice. You're creating equitable and inclusive environments. You're consistently educating yourself. There's no way you won't be an accomplice, right? right. What happens is that what I find that's, that's tricky is that, you know, if you look at this journey as like driving down the interstate, right? Sometimes I notice that white folks are driving down the interstate and they're always looking for the first exit. Like, well, how, can I, how can I get out of here? How can I, how can I, how can I not do this? Because if you want to have a conversation about race, right? And for me, the, the way that I look at my work is I do race and. And the reason why it's race and is because of we live in a racialized society. Because before you know that I'm a woman, you know that I'm black. If you see me in your periphery, right? So race is that issue that we have to deal with. And race is the one that's that powder cake issue that just, we witness it every day. How, how it, how it blows up, how microaggressions happen, how macroaggressions happen, right? And so what, what ends up happening is that you have these conversations and you want to talk about race. People feel a little bit uncomfortable and it's like, oh, well, we, we have to talk about ability. We have to talk about disability or we have to talk about women's rights or we have to, there's always this way that people want to take the off ramp instead of having a really hard conversation. Right. And the truth of it is that if you can perfect having a really hard conversation, you can have every other conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And isn't that liberating? <laughs> Actually, that's, 
that is that is really true. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, the the outlook on working out, how you think like, okay, I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat right and then I'm going to get to my goal body. And then you just realize, well, shoot, dog, I got to keep doing this if I'm going to like actually maintain this, that there's this idea that we have that we can just do all the right things, check all the right boxes, do it. And then we get there and then we get to move on instead of this, this bigger understanding of life as a constant journey and every day showing up for the things that are important to you. And which I hope start with yourself, your family, your community, and we, and then imagine all of the goodness if we were always showing up for those things that it would just continue to overflow. But you can't just say, okay, I got there. Okay. I took Cena's class. I got there and now I got there and now I'm good. And now I move forward just like you can't say, okay, now I am like, my arms look killer buff and now I got there and now they're going to stay that way. (laughs) Exactly. It's almost like if... Five years ago, you were an, you were an expert on the like, gender identity, right? And then right. you didn't do any work since then. You're, you're completely out of the conversation, right? You're lost. Right. So we, we have to keep our analysis up because the world changes and, and things are happening all the time. And, and honestly, there, because people are, are murdered and because we have inequity, I mean, you, Elizabeth, you talked about some of them. I mean, in this state, African American students fare worse than any other African American students in the country. I How know. did that happen here? Right. In yeah. a place where we have a better education system than anywhere else in the country. And when I talk with people from schools, I, I met with a woman about Minneapolis public schools. We live in Minneapolis. And so I was meeting with her about transitioning my daughter into Minneapolis public schools. And she said, Minneapolis public schools are great unless you're a person of color. That's, that is the reality in the situation right now. And you go, man, that's tough, especially I think in a place like Minnesota where you know, and I was born and raised here, Cena, where I, and this is where I learned about racial injustices. And I learned that it was somewhere else, that it happened somewhere else. And that, well, we didn't do that in the North. Well, we didn't have slavery here. Well, Minnesota is the most progressive educated state in the country. And I listen, I love this place with all of my heart. I host a TV show all about how great it is. So there I, I love it. That being said, I think we've sold ourselves a bill of goods about our superiority that has not acknowledged that we have left a huge part of our community out and that we did that systemically. And then we've done it by not acknowledging any of the issues. But here's my frustration. Here we are saying this. Say that again about that. It's it's a great place to go to school unless you're a person of color. So what now? What now? Yeah, right so then it's not a great place that, to go to school. <laughs> no, for that five or six-year-old, what What now? I mean, this is the frustration. So we can say that and we can say, oh, we're aware of that. Oh, that's so horrible. Okay, what now? Mm-hmm. You know, that every day that, that that child isn't getting an equal education is a day lost. Yeah. We need better systems. We need better structures. And frankly, the, one of the first steps in all of this is for white folks to be as outraged as black people, indigenous people, and people of color, right? Because it hasn't worked that we've kept talking about all of the problems that we have. 
Some Clearly. people were complaining. Some people yeah. think we should just work a little harder, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But what yeah. if we don't have boots, right? There's all these there are all these conversations that are happening. But what has to happen is that what I what I what I hope happens so much is all of this collective outrage right yeah. now manifests into change. I hope that all of these white folks who are now saying, I want to be anti-racist, I want to use my privilege for the benefit of others, I hope that they keep working. What I hope that, what I hope is that beyond two weeks, we're still having these conversations, right? Because right. the reality of the situation is George Floyd's murder cannot be in vain. That's right. number one. And number two, we are just at the beginning we're just at the point where officers have been arrested and charged. We got a long way to go. Yeah. Right? We got a long way to go to conviction. To we've got a long way to go to convictions, right? And so we have to stay as angry and as vigilant as possible for the duration until we fix all of these systems that are broken, all of these circumstances and systems that are not serving children equally, serving people equally, right? We we have to stay we have to stay engaged and we have to stay we have to stay a little angry and we have to stay engaged and we have to keep learning, right? And we have to act because it's not enough for us to talk about how mad we are. The reality is, okay, what are we gonna do about it? Yeah. Sina, so, you know, we um I saw an image the other day that showed a, a little iceberg above the water. And then a massive chunk of ice below the water. Did you see that, yeah. Cena? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. Marjorie, I'm sure you saw it too, where yeah. the top of the iceberg said George George Floyd. And then the bottom, the massive piece of ice that was hidden under the water says racism. Yeah. And I thought that was really telling. And, and you know, as you say you hope for this, I when I was listening to Reverend Al Sharpton yesterday at George Floyd's memorial service, he seemed hopeful and he's certainly a man who's lived through a lot and seen a lot. And then I thought, okay, so let's look at his perspective, big picture. He's looking big picture. And then my perspective, small picture in my neighborhood in Minneapolis, where we had many protesters, we had many windows broken. Our neighbors have been on alert since last week. And I have watched our neighborhood gather together black, white, everybody gathers together every night and has a neighborhood meeting about what we're doing in our neighborhood. And Sina, the next meeting that's this weekend is about having conversations about the police department and how we shift the focus from the police department when ter- when it comes to things that we need and getting resources from other places. So public safety, things like that, where the police are not doing all in our community and what needs to happen with the Minneapolis Police Department going forward. And to me, that at least felt like that's the next action. And somebody said, someone just started sharing on our WhatsApp, hey, here's what I'm learning. And then someone else said, hey, why don't we have a meeting about this and talk about what we do about this about a, a, as our neighborhood next? And that's going to be in Ralph and Carol's backyard on Saturday. And, oh, and we're all gathering together. But that's why neighborhood activism is so important. I mean, it goes back to the idea that we were talking about of when we on this podcast talk about home, we were specifically talking about our homes, you know, where we raise our children. Does that, can we make that idea of home the 10 blocks around your house, the 15 blocks around your house, mm-hmm. and that you are woven together with the people in your neighborhood? And all the better if it's a diverse neighborhood where you're all working together to make sure that everybody's getting what they need to have a good home, mm-hmm. a good education. Yeah, certainly, Marjorie. To be honest, 
if we talk about making change, it is much easier to work with other people who are trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Right. Because if you are by yourself in isolation, it's not to say that it can't be done because it can. Uh, it takes a different level of commitment. Right. Like we talked earlier about, you know, you use the working out analogy. It's different when you're saying you're going to do this with your friend and you have to meet at the gym at 6 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. right. You're, you're someone waiting on you. Someone's here. Yeah. Right? And so the reality is that if we can create circumstances for ourselves where we're accountable to each other, where we are meeting, where we are having these tough conversations, and we know it's going to be tough, but that's okay. Because guess what? We've ignored it for so long. We can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it can't be worse than not talking about it. I mean, like, you look at that video of George Floyd in 2020 with an officer's knee on his neck until he died. And you go, how can it get, can it get worse? How much worse can it get? I, I mean, you hope that that's the worst that it can get, that this is the rock bottom point where change happens. And I want to ask you, uh, Sina, about your, about what, happens to people in terms of that transformation. And, you know, you've got these testimonials again that I mentioned on your website about what the shift in them is then as a person and as a worker and as a a parent or a wife or a friend or whatever role that they have in their life. Once they've confronted these things and worked with you on moving forward. Sure. You know, most folks want to learn new things. Most folks want to, to figure out how things work. That's, that's just how we're um, conditioned and designed. And so I think what happens is that when you think about talking about racism, right, it feels like this big, overwhelming subject. Yeah. It is big, and it's historical, and it's embedded into every single solitary thing that we have going on. But once you start to have a conversation, and once you start to understand what you don't know and where the gaps are in your analysis is my it's my experience that clients are really really once they know that like wait a minute I didn't know all of this and I've been operating in this way because just because that's the light bulb moment mm-hmm. light bulb moment is when you can see where you have fallen short and um, what you have done to perpetuate some of these systems right and how you benefit from some of these systems, right? And so once folks can really, really readily recognize that, then you can see it everywhere, right? It's just like getting a new pair of glasses. The moment you get a new pair of glasses, you can see things in a different way. And so this work is kind of like giving folks a pair of glasses where you can look around and say, okay, this is all the stuff that I didn't recognize. And it's not necessarily your fault that you didn't recognize it because like we talked about, the world is set up for certain folks' comfort, right? So all of a sudden when you start to witness and really pay attention to inequity, then you say, oh, wait a minute. Now I need to know X, Y, and Z, and this is how I can change my behaviors. So essentially, it's really guiding folks to that point whereby they have a level of self-awareness, that they have an increased level of self-awareness, they understand who they are and how they show up, and they have a deeper level of emotional intelligence. They understand what it might mean if they are in a space. For example, let's use like a doula, right? If you're a white woman and you're a doula and you're trying to work with a black woman during her, her birthing process, you have to remember historically what happened to black women, right? You have to think about the history of like, do you know who Henrietta Lacks is, right? There are all these, there are all these things and that we just should know that 
are not frankly taught in school, but inform how folks move through the world. So what, what happens is folks become really curious about educating themselves, really curious about knowing more, and then they show up differently. And then they create places and spaces where folks feel like they can be their authentic selves, right? We're, we're talking about businesses here. When you, when you get to the point where you can create a, a culture in your workplace where folks feel like they don't have to pretend in order to show up at work every day. I guarantee you for most folks, if you work at a place and there are people of color who are working in that place, they are putting on an act all day because they just have to keep up with whatever culture has been established. Yeah. Not able to fully be themselves. And so what we're trying to do is create opportunities for folks to, to know more so that they can do better and they can create better environments wherever those environments are. And then you're getting the best out of people, right? As a company, yeah. as management. I mean, exactly. how can you possibly get the best out of people if they're thinking all day about having to fit into some mold? If they're being, being able to just be themselves, how much better they can be at their jobs? And that trans, I mean, that's where companies can see. I mean, aside from just being the right thing to do, but you can see the ROI. Totally. on you, this work. And you get less turnover. You have less turnover, right? Because folks will stay longer because they want to be there. You have different ideas, right? You can, cut, it can you can be way more innovative if folks feel like they can show up at work and really offer their really true thoughts about processes and procedures. And there are all these ideas that go untapped because folks just sit in their desk and don't yeah. do anything. So that's what I'm curious about because part of what you do is you go into businesses to try and be the woke coach there. What does that look like when you come into a company? How does that how does that work once you're there? Is it a workshop? Do they set out it- treats for you first of all? I want to know because they should. There should always be some sort of like baked good waiting for you when you show up. <laughs> <laughs> I have not had any baked goods. Not, okay, not, that's just wrong. outrageous. Not just no baked goods. Here's the thing: when I by the time I get to a company, uh, I think I told you. I, I think Elizabeth and I were talking about this, but it's one of those things where where do you enter the company, right? For right. me, when I partner with a company, it can't be because the marketing manager said, we want to do work, mm-hmm. right? Because what will happen is the marketing department will be great, but, you know, accounting and development, <laughs> you know, everybody else may not be on the same track. So it's right. best when the leadership has said, this is the work that we want to do, and we want to do this work company-wide. So that's the first, that's the first step is just making sure that you have buy-in from the leadership because otherwise you, you can't sneak equity in the side door, right? If you think about it, it's more like the tablecloth that goes across the table. Like you have to, you have to think about everything in that regard. And so once I go into organizations, there's, it depends on everybody's circumstances different, right? Because everybody's at different levels of learning. So the first thing is to make sure that I understand where folks are on their journey. And sometimes I might use an assessment to do that. Sometimes I might use a series of conversations to do that. But then recognizing like where folks are, articulating that to them so that they understand it, and then going through a series of workshops or engagements to just help folks really understand who they are and um, who they want to be. You know, who do you want to be? What are are your outcomes? You know, some organizations just want to talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Some organizations say we want to be full-on anti-racist. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. It's, it depends on what your what your desired outcomes are. But there really is that point of understanding who you are and, and how you show up as an organization and where your where your shortcomings are, where where are your opportunities for growth in, and getting comfortable doing, with the uncomfortable. Yes. In doing this work, what has been most surprising to you? Hmm. 
That's a good question. What's been most surprising? I think I've, I've, I've been surprised by people's willingness to actually dive in. I think I thought it might be harder for, for folks to be able to connect and for folks right. to be able to, um, to admit that racism exists or to admit that injustice exists, to admit that we don't have inclusive environments and we don't have equitable practices. But I think that the more and more we, um, the more and more we live and the more and more things that are happening in the world, it's harder to deny that right. also these things exist, that inequities exist and that racism is real and rampant. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're hitting, I think we're at this point too, Sina, where we talked about this too, that there is a sense of urgency today that we are feeling that we didn't even feel 11 days ago, that we didn't feel despite the deaths, the other deaths that we've seen, there is an urgency today because it's not just about, well, I want to be the right person. I want to be a better person. I want to change things. This is about lives on the line. This is about knees on the necks of men in the streets. And this is about fear that families feel every time their sons and fathers leave the home. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of easy to go, well, we just, we want to live in a better world and we want to be peaceful. It's more than that. So I mean, it's, more than that. it's more than that. Yeah. There's, there's so much work to be done and I don't want us to be afraid of that work, but it's work that we have to do because we've never done it. When you yeah. think about the videos of black people being murdered at the hands of police, That's not something that's supposed to be in our consciousness. I've not watched the video of George Floyd because I cannot. I've seen enough of videos of people losing their lives and it's not, it's not okay. It's also, you know, here's a, here's the thing we haven't even mentioned the whole time we've been talking is that all of this crap is happening and the pandemic is in the background. Right. (laughs) So we were already at a point where we had, you know, if, if I have to just be honest, if as a black person living in this country every day, you know, if like the level of what I can take is a 10, right? Mm-hmm. right. Before coronavirus, I was at an 8.5. Coronavirus probably pushed me to 15. And now the murder, you know what I mean? So there's, yeah, I know. there's not even any capacity to, to, I don't know how we're going to heal from this, right? I don't know how we're going to get enough rest. I don't know how it, it, I am everybody, the level of anxiety, the level of depression that uh, we already had so much going on. The only, the only thing that I take from all of that is I, I'm wondering in some ways, everybody with the coronavirus felt vulnerable and feels vulnerable because we all are. And what I'm hoping is because there's already a sense of vulnerability that we are in some way more cracked open to other vulnerabilities. I don't have any reason to think that that's true. That's just my hope. I hope so too. I hope so too. But you know, the the other thing is that, see, here we go again, inequity, right? Who is dying from coronavirus at higher rates, right? Black people. And I also recognize that once once black people and other people of color started dying more readily of the disease, I just saw white folks not even wearing masks anymore and not even worrying about it. Yeah. yeah, this is this this not mask wearing thing. I, I just I, I can't even go there right now. That's a whole nother hour. That is a whole nother hour. Yeah, but you're exactly right. It, it, there it is again. And I think that's the other thing that we we have to talk about is the inequity shows up in everything Everywhere. that happens. Everywhere. Everything. Here it is in the pandemic. Inequity. Over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I tell my clients all the time, interrogate everything. Yeah. 
absolutely everything because it you will find it if you just pay attention, right? Inequity is everywhere. And that's unfortunate, but the longer we pretend that we don't see it and it's not there, then the harder it is for us to fix it. So the yeah. reality of the situation is that we have to interrogate everything. We have to recognize that inequity does exist. And we have to recognize that even when we're not even trying, we can perpetuate it, right? Well, that's the you know, hard part. You are incredible. And I have, uh, we have already taken more time than I promised of Sina's that we've said. She was like, what's the time commitment? I'm like, mm, 35 minutes. And then now Uh-oh. we're at 45, Marjorie. This is what oh. we've done to Sina. Uh, because <laughs> this conversation has just been beyond wonderful. And I really want to thank you for taking your time to talk to us. And I know that this is like, when I asked Sina, I, she called, I called her yesterday. She said, Elizabeth, how are you? I said, Oh, I'm good. And I said, how are you? And she said, I'm breathing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the starting point. And so let's, let's remember right there. It was a reminder of my privilege to be able to even say I'm good. And Sina said, I'm breathing. And that's where we have to realize the disparity and then move forward. Sina, the work that you're doing is incredible. And I just really encourage everybody out there, if you have a company, if you have an organization, as an individual, as a group of friends, maybe a mops group or something, look at Sina's thewokecoach.com. The website is so good. It's so clear. It will help you figure out how you can utilize Sina to share her tough love approach and her wisdom and help you get to that place where everybody will be so much better on the other side. Sina, and Sina even put lipstick on for us this morning. She is a joy. To behold. I was like, lady, I told you, you didn't have to be camera ready. We're not using this camera. You've got red lipstick on. And I'm like, oh, man. So funny. Oh, thank you so much, Sina. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.